0: Social determinants
1: of health into professional teams, improving healthcare delivery to patients and families. These are the themes of our Urban Service Talks, a podcast featuring the stories of students from a variety of healthcare professions, learning together to serve patients in our underserved community.
0: We are a group of curious Urban Service Track AX scholars,
2: sharing insight to educate and spark change wherever our stories are told.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Urban Service Talks, a podcast where we talk about the intersection of healthcare and the needs of our community through an interprofessional lens. As a reminder, these talks represent a discussion of ideas and issues which do not represent the views of Urban Service Track or the Connecticut Area Health Education Center Network, the University of Connecticut, or any other affiliated organization. My name is Claire, and I'm a first-year medical student at UConn.
1: I'm Asia and I'm a second-year dental student at UConn.
0: We are thrilled to be hosting our last episode in a mini series we are doing on the impacts of the overturn of Roe versus Wade. Today, we are going to be discussing some ways to get involved in reproductive justice advocacy surrounding abortion care. We are so lucky today to be interviewing Jessica Puck from the REACH Fund, Connecticut's very own abortion fund. Jessica is one of the founding members of the REACH Fund and current board president. And we are very excited to get to know more about this organization and its role in reproductive justice advocacy. Welcome, Jessica. We are so happy to have you. Thank you for having me. We just wanted to start out by getting a big picture idea about what the REACH Fund is. Could you tell us what the REACH Fund is and uh, why it was started?
2: So the REACH Fund is an abortion access fund that serves patients in Connecticut, both Connecticut residents and those from out of state who have their abortions here. We provide financial assistance for those patients who can't afford the entire cost of their abortion and REACH stands for Reproductive Equity Access and Choice, which is our mission. The seeds for REACH were planted back in October 2020 when Amy Coney Barrett was appointed to the Supreme Court. I was browsing the National Network of Abortion Fund's website while I watched the news and noticed that there was no fund in Connecticut. I knew that there was definitely a need for a fund since Connecticut has a lot of wealth and it has a lot of poverty. So I contacted NNAF to find out how to start a fund. And they connected me with some other folks who had also reached out to them about starting a fund. And the four of us officially founded REACH in July, 2021. We spent the next year building the organization's infrastructure, talking to other abortion funds, talking to providers, figuring out how we wanted to operate, preparing to launch a fundraising campaign and just sort of getting our ducks in a row to get started. That's so
0: awesome. I love that you sort of saw the need in Connecticut and also used your sort of local knowledge about what Connecticut was to sort of fund this, um, no pun intended, uh, organization. That, And I think that's wonderful because you're really sort of responding to the needs of the community on a local level. So I think that's great
2: and for me abortions personal in 2016 actually the day after the 2016 election i had a second trimester abortion for a pregnancy that was wanted but unfortunately not viable i remember sitting in the waiting room of the hospital waiting to be called back and watching the election coverage on tv and thinking this is bad you know i i know what this means for abortion access and feeling grateful in a way that I was I was able to access the healthcare I needed at that point.
0: That's so wonderful. Thank you for sharing that with us. I definitely find that reproductive justice and getting involved in this kind of work is often inspired from personal experience, but is motivated by wanting to help your community. And I really see that in your story. So thank you for sharing that with us.
2: I was very, very lucky I had access to the care I needed. I had a $75 copay I didn't have to deal with protesters or anything like that. And I was, I was extraordinarily lucky. And you shouldn't have to be lucky to get abortion care. It should be available and accessible to everyone at all times. Um, so I felt like this is sort of my way of paying it forward, is trying to increase abortion access for others. That's so wonderful.
1: I really love hearing about your personal motivations for doing this kind of work. And we were also wondering what, or for you to tell us more about your role at the REACH Fund currently.
2: So I'm one of the co-founders, like I said, and I'm currently serving as the board president. I am leading our team of directors as we grow and shape the fund, as we navigate this landscape, which is ever-changing. And I also do a lot of the sort of day-to-day operations of managing the fund.
0: That's great. And it sounds like there's so much that goes into any organization, but I think it's important to acknowledge how much goes into actually running a fund like this and and getting it started and getting the resources actually out into the community. On that note, I was wondering if you could touch a little bit on, I guess, the history of abortion funds and why they are they so important in our communities?
2: Yeah, I mean, in some sense, abortion funds have been around since before Roe in that individuals working together to help people access of undercover abortion care. And that included helping people pay for it. But the organized network of funds that we know today as the National Network of Abortion Funds was founded in 1993 by 22 different funds from 14 states. And it's just expanded since then. I think there's over 90 today that are in the network. We are applying for membership in the network. So we're very excited to join. Abortion funds are important because they have intimate knowledge of their communities and service areas and are able to best advocate for and provide resources for the needs of the communities and their neighbors. Abortion funds work together. We're already working with other funds from different states. They pull resources and they center those who are most impacted by systemic oppression, structural barriers. And that's how funds build power and help more patients access abortion. There's such unique organizations um, in that they're all autonomous. They all work slightly differently. Many are run just by volunteers and don't have any paid staff. They're truly groups of people who are just so dedicated to this work and dedicated to ensuring that people have reproductive equity and bodily autonomy and are able to access what they need for their lives.
0: I think that's so great how you were touching on how they really can respond to the needs of the local community and how um, you know, every abortion fund is distinct in that they are serving their immediate neighbors and their immediate community. I think that's wonderful. Would you be able to expand a little bit on how you you use the word like pool resources, but connect with other abortion funds within the Northeast or how you've worked with other funds um throughout your process and starting this organization?
2: So a lot of funds will do what's called solidarity funding. This happens a lot for patients who are having later abortions later in their second trimester, even into their third trimester, because as you get more and more pregnant, it gets more expensive and there's generally travel involved, especially when you get into these later gestations. One other thing that we do is if a Connecticut resident needs to go out of state for a later abortion, we will contribute to that if we're able. What will happen is there's clinics in the DC, Maryland area, for example, that go into the third trimester. And we'll get an email from either the local abortion fund down there or the clinic itself and say, hey, there's a Connecticut patient. This is how much the procedure is going to cost. This is how much they have. Here's the gap. Who can contribute? And at this point, we're only able to Help Connecticut residents, but funds from all over will contribute to patients for that, and um, and that's called solidarity funding. It really is; it it goes beyond just state borders and local areas into trying to help as many people as possible.
0: I think that's that's so great that you're not only working with other funds, but helping patients navigate when even Connecticut's laws aren't suited to their situation. I think it's kind of interesting that. In this post Roe era, states are sort of confined to their legislature and what their their state has defined as the rules of surrounding abortion. But you have abortion funds that are you know serving their local communities, but sort of also helping the surrounding communities in this time. So I think that's so wonderful. I was wondering if you can expand a little bit on how the Reach Fund is connecting specifically with the communities like within Connecticut and how you've sort of built up your organization by connecting with the local community.
2: That's one of our priorities since we've started, is um, reaching out to different organizations around the state. And we really wanted to be intentional with how we started this work. We wanted to add value. For example, we've partnered with an organization called Peer Pride. They are a trans led organization based out of New Haven that provides support groups, advocacy, and education for trans folks. And we have partnered with them to provide additional support, emotional support, advocacy support, whatever a patient might need for trans and intersex patients who need abortions. So that's just one example of of how we're working with different communities, different organizations around the state to try to meet the needs as best as possible. We're a small board, we have nine members on our board of directors, we're all volunteers, and we reach as many communities, as many populations as possible is something that we're really committed to and something that we're we're actively working toward.
1: That's really amazing. I actually had no idea that you connected with so many different organizations and so many different kinds of organizations across the state. So that's really great to hear. Kind of switching gears a little bit, we wanted to ask you about how the work of abortion funds has changed like more generally after the overturn of Roe. And we love if you could speak on behalf of the REACH Fund, but also if you knew about how this work has changed in more restrictive states.
2: A lot of funds in states where abortion is now banned or heavily, heavily restricted have had to either shut down, take a break, or completely change their work. Some funds have switched to helping pay for contraception, providing education about reproductive topics providing menstrual supplies, other services like that. And unfortunately, some funds have temporarily shut down while they decide what they're going to do next. The closing or redirection of funds in states with bans also means increased pressure on neighboring funds, which are now working hard to cover the gap. So every fund in the country is currently figuring out how to navigate a constantly changing landscape. As far as the REACH fund, you know, again, we we're in Connecticut. We're lucky, you know, nothing's perfect. Obviously, there's still a long way to go as far as access in Connecticut, but we do have some privileges here in that Connecticut is a more abortion-friendly state where even, you know, the the state of Connecticut set up a website for abortion resources and we're listed on it. You know, you're not going to find that in Alabama. We launched our fundraising campaign 10 days before The Dobbs verdict came out. So it's been interesting because we really hadn't gotten started before Dobbs. And so we are navigating this new organization in this new world. Um, And it's, yeah, (laughs) it's a lot.
0: Yeah, that's definitely like so much to sort of process everything that's happening in the country in that moment and then also figure out how you're going to be responding to it as an organization. It also felt so timely being a resident in Connecticut, knowing what was happening at the national level and also being aware of the REACH fund. Abortion funds are have been around for a long time, but it felt very timely that this fund in Connecticut was emerging in this moment. It was definitely pretty awesome to see the organization sort of come to fruition in light of everything that was happening. And for you know, me personally to get awareness of it, I was pretty excited. I just wanted to switch gears a little bit to talk a little bit more about what the Reach Fund is beyond just a financial resource. So we had talked a little bit how the Reach Fund connects with different community organization and functions on more of a local level. But could you speak to how the REACH Fund operates outside of just writing checks or paying for abortions. So if you could expand on that a little bit.
2: Sure. I mean, primarily, you know, we, we would love to at some point get into practical support, you know, helping people pay for transportation costs, childcare costs, things like that. But we are just getting started. So our primary work is helping people pay for their procedure itself. But another big part of what we're working toward is education, ending stigma, ending shame and really opening up these conversations about abortion, what it actually is, what it actually means. Abortion access is beyond just wanting to not be pregnant anymore. It's really about our rights to our bodies and our bodily autonomy and explaining to people who might not think about it in that way why abortion is so important. So we do a lot of posting on our social media about different educational topics, suggestions for how to talk about abortion with friends, family networks, talking about inclusivity when it comes to the abortion rights and abortion access movement. You know, cisgender women are not the only people who have abortions or can get pregnant. And it's vitally important to include trans people, intersex people, non-binary people, In these conversations and in our advocacy work, because ultimately people at with identities, you know, that are at the intersections of different marginalized identities have the most barriers to care. And so that's a big part of this work is educating about why it's so important to center people with more marginalized identities in this work really, yeah, just encouraging people to talk about abortion. You know, the word abortion is not a dirty word. It's a medical procedure. And it's about our rights to our bodies. And so that is something that we've been working really hard to be involved with is just education.
0: That's like so interesting that you you were speaking about the financial aspect. But I think that advocacy in and of itself does often center around education and sort of getting the word out. So I think it's great that the organization obviously has the mission to support abortion access, but I think that really does go hand in hand with expanding access to education, expanding access to knowledge, and specifically centering it on marginalized communities is such an important way to approach this this subject. And I think it's really important. And you're specifically talking about trans non-binary intersex folks. This movement has largely for a long time been centered around women's rights, women's access to abortion. And it is very clear that those statements inherently are further marginalizing these communities. So the fact that your organization is centering the approach on on highlighting those barriers, I think is pretty amazing. So yeah, thank you for sharing those those things. You
2: know, it's like a, a rising tide raises all boats, right? So when we make sure to really center the people who are most affected by abortion restrictions, by lack of access, it can only help everybody. So that's why that's so important to be inclusive with our language and inclusive with our our work, our advocacy. Absolutely.
1: On a similar note, we wanted to ask you about what other kinds of advocacy is out there in the reproductive space?
2: Yeah, legislative advocacy is really important. Pro-Choice Connecticut, which used to be the Connecticut NARAL affiliate, is now independent. They're the state's leading political advocacy organization. They are doing some incredible work in this state over the last few years to advance pro-abortion legislation, make Connecticut a leader in reproductive rights and abortion rights. That includes uh, working with legislators to update laws and update regulations to really make Connecticut a state where abortion is accessible for all that's definitely another really important arm of advocacy.
1: Thank you for sharing that. We also wanted to ask what you think are some ways that people can get involved in this kind kind of advocacy in the community. So like with the REACH Fund and outside of the REACH Fund. So with these legislative organizations in Connecticut or even nationally.
2: You know, if you have the financial means (laughs) setting up a monthly donation to your local abortion fund or independent clinic, Or a a legislative advocacy group like Pro Choice Connecticut, it really helps these organizations be sustainable and do their best work. Outside of financial assistance, we encourage folks to research their political leaders' views on abortion, vote accordingly, write to and call their legislators, ask them to support bills that increase abortion access. You know, again, like I was saying earlier, one thing that gets overlooked a lot in the importance of this work is talking about abortion, just making it a regular topic of conversation. Abortion is normal and abortion is common. It's very common, but because of all the stigma surrounding it, it causes a lot of shame and people don't want to talk about it. And Now we're at a point where abortion is a dirty word. Honestly, I feel one of the most important things that we can do is discuss facts about abortion, especially within our own relationships with our friends, our family, it goes a long way to talk about abortion. Yeah, I think
0: that's really that's really important, especially if people don't have the financial means to give. And I know a lot of people want to get involved. And people who care about this kind of work, they look for ways that they can support this. Some people don't have the financial means, but speaking about it and researching and, and talking about and normalizing it is something that everybody can do. So I really love that you brought that up.
2: We have resources for people on our website. Um, talking points, facts about abortion. We'll send you a, a stack of our business cards if you want to hand them out to, you know, post them on your community bulletin board or anything like that. Sharing our social media posts, you know, little things like that really do add up as far as getting the word out about us and our work. You know, we we're small, we're scrappy, right? We don't have a marketing budget, so we really do rely a lot on the support of our communities to help us get the word out about our services and, and what we do. That goes a long way.
0: Yeah, that definitely stands out to me that you're an organization that is responding to the needs of the community, but also depends on the community to um, help you even do that work. So that's quite a lovely
2: partnership. It's mutual aid, right? We don't look at our work as charity. It's not charity. It is really more of a mutual aid thing. We we strongly believe that abortion funding is community care. It's providing our communities with the resources they need to live their lives the way that they want to. And so that's how we like, to, you know, that's how we're viewing our work is through that lens of, of sort of mutual aid. We believe so strongly in taking care of each other and taking care of our communities Rather than us just being a charitable organization that doles out money, we really want to turn abortion stigma on its head and explain to folks why it's so important to invest in our communities in this way.
0: I think it's really wonderful talking about investing in communities and that's definitely some, an idea that we talk about a lot at, at our organization, ensuring that we are investing the time, money, and resources in our communities and helping lift them up. Not just give them X, Y, and Z, but work with them in partnership to, to get them the care that they need. So I, I think that's fantastic. Another question that we had typically surrounding discussions about reproductive justice, they are often centered around women. And we've talked a little bit about being more inclusive in that way. But a question that we had is how can folks who are not typically involved in the discussion, specifically folks who aren't maybe directly involved in abortion care or receiving abortion care, such as cis men, how can they get involved
2: in reproductive advocacy? When I first told my parents that I was starting an abortion fund, my dad's first question was, what's an abortion fund? Which makes sense. He's he's in his 60s. He never needed to know what an abortion fund was. And once I explained what it is, why it's needed, he actually was really genuinely interested in learning more and supporting us. He's like your quintessential cisgender old white guy. Sorry, dad. (laughs) Um, And to see his interest in our work, it warms my heart and really his motivation to keep going. Um, You know, aside from financial support, he shows up for reach in small ways like, again, you know, commenting on or liking our social media posts, sharing articles, forwarding our our fundraising emails and things like that. And and that goes a long way. So all that to say is that cisgender men and, and other folks who are typically not involved in these discussions, they can follow the lead of those working in the space, especially the lead of those with more marginalized identities, Black folks, people of color, LGBTQ folks anyone who's who's going to be at the intersection of different oppressive systems. So follow their lead, ask what they need and do it. Another thing these folks can do is share their own experiences with abortion, whether their partner had one, a family member, a friend, share what that abortion meant for their lives. My husband is He's not, he's not chatty like I am, but my abortion was, was also in a way his abortion, you know, we we wanted that pregnancy and we went through that loss together. And it's important for people to realize that abortion is something that affects everyone, even people without a uterus. And so by following the lead of those who are most involved in this work, they can really add value.
0: I think that's so important. I love what you said about following their lead and sort of making space for the voices of those who are most impacted to be lifted up but also, you know, hearing the story about your dad, that warms my heart to to just see families supporting each other and then just folks in the community supporting other folks in the community. And then what you said about the abortion that you experienced with your your husband, how it was sort of his abortion too. I think that's a point that isn't really talked about that much that abortion is definitely impacts those who are pregnant the most, but abortion does impact and benefit everybody who are, who's involved in the process. And I think that isn't really talked about that much. So thank you for bringing up that point.
1: How do you maintain hope given the laws that have been burdening reproductive health access?
2: You know, like I said earlier, I, I think a lot about how abortion access is so much more than just ending a pregnancy. It's about maintaining the rights to our own bodies and the rights to our own futures and our autonomy. I believe that having control over our own lives is non-negotiable. So in a way, we just keep going. <laughs> you just keep swimming because you don't have a choice. But what, what really gives me hope is, you know, thinking about, I, I think about our supporters, right? We have Since we launched um, six months ago, We have had over 400 individual supporters who have donated money to help pay for a stranger's abortion care. And that's, that's incredible. It's an incredible and radical act of love and community support. I think a lot about our sibling abortion funds who work together to cover costs for patients. I think about the clinic workers and the providers who do their jobs tirelessly because they believe so strongly in the importance of abortion access. And I really get a lot of hope from seeing our community come together for a common goal and how we can do really great things when we just show up for each other. It's kind of the small victories every day (laughs) that, that keep going.
0: Definitely. And I love how we keep coming back to the power of small communities and both the operational capacity, but also just maintaining hope in this process. So talking about how 400 plus people are, are supporting this organization, being inspired through their actions, but also being inspired by the community at large. I think that's fantastic. So, just uh, sort of last little closing remarks, but also if you could remind us where to find you online and in social media if people want to connect with the Reach Fund.
2: Sure. You can find us on our website, which is reachfundct.org. We are on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at ReachFundCT. As far as any last minute thoughts, again, you know, we really try to come back to the point about. Just because something is legal doesn't mean it's accessible. And that's where we are in Connecticut and getting the word out and going to different community events and talking to people about the fund and why we need a fund. We hear a lot of, Oh, but it's legal in Connecticut. Oh, but they just passed that law that said that, you know, it's extra legal in Connecticut. Okay. Well, (laughs) if your abortion costs $600 and you don't have $600 and you can't take a day off work and you don't have childcare and you don't have a ride to the clinic doesn't matter how legal it is, you know, it's not accessible. And so, you know, legal is sort of just the first hurdle to get through. That's where we are right here is we are working to help make abortion more accessible because there really is such, there's such a positive I don't want to call it a return on investment, but kind of. You know, there, there there really is a positive return on investment when you invest in abortion care. They've done studies. The turnaway study out of San Francisco was one that that proved that access to abortion reduces poverty rates. It improves access to education. It allows people to take on different life journeys than they might have otherwise. And and again, it it really just comes down to maintaining your own autonomy and, and the right to decide what's best for you in your life. My situation, somebody else might have made a different choice, may have chose to carry that pregnancy to term, and that's fine. That's their choice. I was glad that I was able to make my choice. Um, and everyone should have that. You shouldn't have to be lucky to have basic control over your own body and your own future. So that's uh that's we're just trying with our our scrappy little abortion fund to to help folks. I love that and I love how you
0: you were touching on how just because it's legal doesn't mean it's accessible. I think that's a really important point to highlight. That was so wonderful. It was so wonderful to have your perspective and to have you enlighten us about this organization and all the work of your fund and also the work of funds around the country. So we just wanted to thank you one more time for coming on the podcast. It has been such a pleasure. We're very excited to be able to share this with our listeners. Thank you so much. This podcast is sponsored by Connecticut AHEC and UConn Help. Let's keep this talk going.
1: Join us on Twitter at Talks Service. Instagram at Urban Service Talks or by email at ust.pod at gmail.com.